everybody, it's David Creek. I want to thank you for listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. We're coming to you from the Philadelphia area. And you can check out our website at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. I couldn't help but realize this morning that when we came here in 2018, the Eagles immediately go to the Super Bowl and they win as soon as you brought me here. And now on my way out, the Eagles are once again in the Super Bowl. So I think what this means, I'm pretty sure what this means is that if the Eagles were to win tonight, it's probably all because of me. You know, I, I don't know what else it could be, but... 2018, 2023, it's just meant to be. The God that we worship and assemble before in every sense of the word is amazing, is awesome. Amazing and awesome are words that so oftentimes nowadays tend to be overused. They're used to describe just about anything. Yeah, I was driving home from work, and it was amazing. I made almost every light. I was at ShopRite last night, and it was amazing. Pepsis were buy one, get one free. Had dinner at um, a Sizzler last Thursday night, and it was amazing. I mean, unless your waitress was levitating in the air and turning tap water into wine, maybe amazing isn't the word to use. When we hear those kind of words, awesome, amazing, used in our society, usually they are colossal overstatements. But when we use those words to describe Jesus, and when we find these words used of him in the scriptures, we can be rest assured that they are always Colossal understatements. Because as amazing as amazement is, in the language of the text, as it speaks about our Christ and our King, it is something so so far greater than words are capable of depicting. In fact, one of the strongest words that we have in our language to describe something that is beyond extraordinary is when we are awestruck. Where something so incredible and so mind-blowing occurs that we temporarily lose the ability to, to speak. Our body turns to ice. Awestruck is when we are so amazed that it is this eerie combination of fear and wonderment simultaneously where we almost want to run away from it for our lives, and yet it is so beautiful that we can't help but to stare at it and to get as close to it as we possibly can. I remember a scene from a movie called Blue Chips many years ago where Nick Nolte is playing a college basketball coach and he's traveling across the country recruiting high school talent to come to his school. And a friend of his convinces him begrudgingly to come to this small Louisiana town no one had ever heard of. He has a prospect there. 
And so Nick Nolte makes, makes a trip to Louisiana. He's expecting to find just a, you know, your, your average high school basketball player, 6'4", whatever. And yet as he walks inside this, this small gymnasium, what he finds instead is 7 foot 1 inch, 330 pound, 20 year old Shaquille O'Neal. He's just a kid and he's playing against a bunch of grown men. But he is so much bigger and so much better than everybody else on the court that it looks like he is a grown man playing against a bunch of children. He's dunking on everybody's heads and he's blocking shots with his elbow. His friend nudges him and says he's totally raw. He's never been coached. And then the camera zooms in on Nick Nolte as his mouth just hits the floor and, and he stands completely frozen in a state of delirium. Because he is absolutely transfixed by what he's witnessing. That's what it means to be awestruck. I remember many years ago on YouTube, they recorded a prank in a coffee shop one day. And a few hours before the coffee shop opened, they had installed um, um, a special wall that had wires that would lift a stump man about 10 feet up off the ground. So as everybody goes inside the coffee shop, as it opens, everybody in line is not in on, on the joke. Then all of a sudden, a stunt man, he, he pretends to bump into a college-age girl. She spills her coffee onto her laptop. She jumps up and she yells at this guy, and then she holds out her hand and she sends him flying 10 feet up the wall backwards. It just looks like an ordinary college girl who doesn't even realize that she has supernatural power somehow. She starts moving tables and chairs across the coffee shop. Books begin flying off of the shelves. And I mean, every single person in this coffee, sh or in this coffee shop is absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, they look terrified with awe. Many people start screaming. Grown men's eyes are bulging out of their skulls. Some are even running out of the coffee shop for their lives. And even though I've watched this clip many times throughout the years, as I watched it yet again, even knowing that it's fake and that it's just a prank, it still baptized me with chills. And strangely, I had tears of awe streaming down my face. That's what it means to be awestruck by something. And this is what people were all the time whenever they stood in the presence of Jesus. What Jesus did left people awestruck. In Mark chapter 7, Mark records Jesus healing a man who had been deaf. This man who everyone knew his, his whole entire life had been deaf, all of a sudden he's able to, to hear and to speak just like everybody else. And Mark says that they were astonished beyond measure. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus silences a storm with three words. In the blink of an eye, it goes from a terrifying storm to it being perfectly still and perfectly calm. And it says that the apostles were looking at each other saying, Who is this man who even the winds and the sea obey him? And it says that they were astounded by this. In Luke's gospel, Jesus cast out demons.
And there we read that amazement came upon them all and they all began saying, what is this message of his? Where even the demons and the spirits are commanded out of other people. Jesus heals a paralytic man and it says that they were all struck with astonishment and they began glorifying God. And they were all filled with fear and And they were saying to each other, we have seen remarkable things today. The women reached the empty tomb on resurrection morning. The angels pronounced to them that Jesus has arisen from the dead and that Jesus lives yet again. And it says that the women fled from out of the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. What Jesus did astounded people. And what Jesus said astounded people. Just moments after the Sermon on the Mount was finished, Matthew says that the crowds were amazed, that the crowds were awestruck at the things that he had just taught them. Later on in Matthew 19.25, Jesus is teaching his disciples about riches. And he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, about the camel and the needle, And it says that his disciples were very astonished at his teaching. And yet, as as spellbinding as all of that is, even, even all of those remarkable and extraordinary things are not the most incredible, mind blowing things that Jesus ever did. What's even more incredible to me is that in the scriptures, Jesus, Jesus, was amazed by people. We read of two times in the scriptures where us people amaze Jesus. And both instances have to do with faith. On the very first of these instances, it occurs early on in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown. He stands up in the synagogue and he begins teaching. The people are initially amazed by this. And they're awestruck by it. But it's a different kind of awestruck. It is a distorted kind of awestruck. Where they begin mumbling to each other and muttering, where did this guy get all of these things? I mean, he, there's no way that he's the carpenter, right? I mean, he is just Josh the carpenter. He's the guy who built our table. His brother and his sisters and his other brothers, they're all standing right over there. We we saw this guy grow up. In other words, what they were saying to each other and what they were were, um, surmising is, who does this guy think he is? And we read that they took offense at him. In fact, they are so offended at Jesus that they try to throw him off of a cliff. And once again, what we see in this series, Diamonds in the Rough, is that the people who should have known Jesus the absolute best, the people who grew up going to synagogue, sitting next to the adolescent Jesus himself, the people who had the scriptures, who had Moses who gave them the law, and who had Abraham to model a faith after, 
These are the very people where when the Messiah himself was standing right in front of them, announcing himself as the Messiah, they rejected him. They tried to kill him. And we read that Jesus could do no mighty work there except lay his hands on a few sick people and to heal them. I mean, Jesus could have done so much more, but as a result of their lack of faith and of them taking offense at who he was, Jesus didn't do a whole lot of miracles there that day. But most strikingly, though, it says that when all of this had happened, that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Did you notice that? That their unbelief and that their malice in response to his lordship caused even Jesus to be awestruck, to be astounded in disbelief. They caused Jesus to be reverse awestruck. And yet I'm so glad, though, that that would not be the only instance in which Jesus was amazed. I want us to see Matthew chapter 8 this morning. I want us to pay very close attention to what occurs, because this is an example of God being amazed by his own creation in the positive sense. And yet again, as we will see in just a moment, it's a person who most people would least Suspect to amaze God. Matthew chapter 8 and starting at verse 5. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, and he was appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering in a terrible state. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to another, do this, and he does it. Then notice verse 10. That when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who had followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. For I tell you that many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as we read this this morning, there are so many extraordinary things that are just leaping off the page at me right now. Well, the very first of these remarkable things is that this this man who we just read about, this, this is not a Hebrew priest who is amazing Jesus. It's not someone who grew up with Jesus in Nazareth. But rather of all people, this is a high-ranking Roman officer who leaves Jesus awestruck. This is a Roman officer from the same Roman force who at this very moment in time has their boots 
on the neck of the Jewish world. This was a Gentile wearing the horsehair crest on his helmet, with the sword ever at his side, who entire fleets of Roman soldiers and officers marched to the beat of his every command. This is a person from the army that the Jews utterly despised. And in turn, of course, the Romans hated the Jews just as much, if not more. Which really makes this all the more incredible when we really look closely at this. You see, the more that we look at this Roman centurion, this, it's, it's very clear to us. There's something very different about this particular Roman centurion. In Luke's account, what Luke also reveals to us is that as the centurion hears about Jesus, he sends Jewish elders to Jesus with his request, come and heal my servants. And so the Jewish elders, the elders of the people are the ones who begin pleading with Jesus, and they say that, that he is worthy for you to grant this to him. For he loves our nation, and he has built us our synagogue. I mean, I just find that mind-blowing. That these are the Jewish elders who are coming to Jesus, begging him to perform a miracle. This is the embodiment of religious people, the very religious group who hates Jesus with every fiber of their being, who blasphemes him as, as a person who is misleading people and who really doesn't have the power of God. This is, you know, these are elders from the same religious group who not very long from now are going to be falsely accusing Jesus in, in a midnight courtroom and mercilessly jeering him as he dies on a cross. But they have so much respect and so much admiration for this Roman centurion, though, that they are willing to implore Jesus to use his miraculous touch in order to heal his servant. And that's because even despite being on the opposing side in the spectrum, this centurion has been very kind and very gracious to them. As, as they say in Luke's account, he loves the Jewish nation and he loves their heritage. And he loves them so much that he even built them a synagogue to assemble in. And that is very, trust me, that is very, very unusual. Another thing that I find noteworthy, though, is that this Roman centurion is going to all of this trouble for a slave of all people. This was the age when servants were regarded as worthless, animalistic property. And yet this officer has a paralyzed servant laying up in his personal house, maybe even laying in his own bed. And he's sending messengers to reach Jesus with this ever-urgent need to, to come right away and to do whatever you can to take his, his paralyzed state away from him. Well, Jesus is now on his way to the centurion's home, when yet another group of messengers sent by the centurion catch Jesus perhaps midway between the road and his house. 
And what they say, you know, they just stop Jesus on the road and they say, hey, hey um, the um, centurion sends this message, Jesus. He says that I am not even worthy to have you come underneath my roof. In other words, you don't even have to lay your hands on my servants. You don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word. Even where you stand right now, just say the word. And there is no doubt whatsoever in my heart, if you will just say the word itself then my servant will be healed just like that. You see, men with swords and spears obey the centurion. But the centurion understands that the storms and the seas and that sickness and disease obeys Jesus. And just as his words will very shortly silence the sea storm, this centurion knows even before all of that happens, That Jesus is capable of just saying the word and his servant will no longer be paralyzed. And upon hearing this, we we read once again in verse 10 that Jesus is awestruck. And Jesus is awestruck by the Roman centurion. He's reverse awestruck. And I just want to read verse 10 to us yet again where it says... And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I, I, I am, say to you that with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now I really want to stress to us what, how significant this is in the original language of the text. Now that word marvel that appears in verse 10 It means to astonish someone out of their senses. It also means that it is so incredible that you leave the other person in a state of deep and profound and speechless admiration. Jesus, marveling at the Romans' faith, is doing so in a state of admiration. Even Jesus Christ himself admires the faith that is in this Roman centurion. And this is the exact same word and the exact same sentiment that the apostles experience at the sea storm. Where the same word appears and they marveled and they said, what kind of man is this? Where even the winds and the sea obeys him. This Gentile centurion soldier is leaving Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, awestruck out of his senses, causing him to lapse into a state of wonderment and delirium, as in what kind of person is this who believes and has this much confidence in the power that the Father has given to me? When you speak a universe into existence, when you give names to every single star in the sky, when you raise the dead and arose from your own grave yourself, when you stopped a a storm and you teleported three miles a boat back to shore in the blink of an eye, when you can read the minds and the thoughts and the intentions of, of every human heart and brain, 
when you're the God who answers with fire on the water-drenched altar, when the sound of your voice shook and reverberated the foundations of the planet, when you were the God of whom it is said, nothing will be impossible, we would think, we would assume that nothing could mesmerize the living God. And yet, there is something that can mesmerize the living God. And that is faith even the size of a mustard seed in a human soul. And yet this Roman centurion has far more than the faith of a mustard seed, doesn't he? He's got faith the size of all of creation. I mean, of all people, a Roman centurion on the enemy side He is the one, he is the only person in all of history recorded in Scripture who left Jesus awestruck in a positive sense. And that's because he believed without any doubt whatsoever that Jesus, that with Jesus, there is no impossible. And so as we bring this message to its close, we read last of all in verse 13, that having this degree of faith in his heart, it says, and to the centurion Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. As our brother Bob expressed to us so beautifully just a moment ago at, at, at the communion table, whenever we assemble together, the the risen Jesus communes with us in our midst. He dwells in our hearts through our faith, we read in Ephesians. And when we draw near to him, his grace, his power, his love, they leave us awestruck. Jesus awestrucks us. But do we even realize, do I even understand it from day to day, That it's not just that Jesus can leave us awestruck, but we can leave him awestruck too. And yet as we have witnessed in the scriptures this morning, we can either leave him awestruck for for better, or we can leave him awestruck for worse. And I just wonder this morning, are we leaving him the kind of awestruck that causes him to think, They've walked with me this many years and that's all the faith that they have in me? That's all the confidence that they have in my power? Are we awestrucking Jesus because we are offended at the kind of Savior he is who even loves the people who we hate? Who calls us to sacrifice things that we don't want to let go of? Or is he reverse awestruck because we believe and we pray and we have confidence in the power of God just like that so-called pagan Roman centurion did whose heart was bursting at the thought and at the conviction of just say the word and it's going down. Just say the word and I believe that he can and I know that he will. If a Roman officer could captivate the living God, 
Think of how much more we and, and this church could captivate Jesus. If we will learn to adopt the mindset and the attitude, no matter what we are up against in this world, Lord, just say the word. And I know that you will show me that your power is greater than this. Just say the word. 